0: Good morning. It's August 22nd. It is a pleasant morning in New York as the heat has moved off. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. On the top of the front of the New York Times, there's a big profile of Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor and rapidly failing presidential candidate by Nicholas Confessori. And it's really remarkably good. A kind of extraordinary piece of news writing for a major American news outlet writing about a national political figure. The underlying theme is that Ron DeSantis is full of crap and a hypocrite, or as the headline puts it, the elites he now targets gave DeSantis a leg up. Candidate exploits Ivy League experiences in service to a culture war agenda. But rather than just dwelling on the obvious contradictions, Confessori does the rare work of writing about the actual context in which DeSantis came up through Yale and Harvard Law School, in a particularly unusual move for this self-loathing liberal media, Confessori takes a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer built entirely of facts, to Ron DeSantis's claim that when he went to Harvard Law, it was increasingly dominated by adherents of so-called critical legal studies. Instead, Confessori explains that the counter-revolution against critical legal studies had been fully completed at Harvard before Ron DeSantis ever got there. As the story says, critical legal studies was at its nadir, Harvard students of his era, confessory rights, were more drawn to the discipline of law and economics, advanced by conservative legal scholars. The picture DeSantis gives is just not right. It's kind of a cliche about Harvard, and it's simply not true, said Charles Freed, a longtime Harvard law professor and a faculty sponsor of Harvard's chapter of the Federalist Society, the influential conservative legal organization. He must have known it because everyone knew it. The story continues. When Mr. DeSantis started at Harvard in 2002. The school had a conservative dean, Robert C. Clark, an early Federalist Society supporter whose appointment had been part of a deliberate effort to recenter the professoriate. A 2005 survey of the Harvard Law Review, published in the Federalist Society's flagship publication, the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy, found that staff members identifying themselves as left of center did not comprise even a majority. These are all incredibly well-documented and recorded facts. But people like DeSantis have long felt free to lie about them in the service of a mythology about politics, and mainstream media have more or less dutifully passed along those made-up vibes as if they were the truth. The whole story is similarly clinical and relentless about the nonsense that DeSantis peddles about himself and his actual history as a well-connected operator tapping into his Yale and Harvard networks for the money, connections, and support he needed to make his career. Also, there's some real gross stuff about what a sadistic hazer he was when he was a deke at Yale. Plenty of nudity and sexual abuse going on there from the man who would go on to fight the groomers. Much less skeptically, the Times gives a piece of the front page to a belated account of the rise of the song Rich Men North of Richmond by that guy on the internet. There's a lot about the song's resonance and the culture-shaping power of conservative pundits like Jason Whitlock as the story recounts how the song rocketed up the charts. And you have to wade pretty deep through this Will of the People stuff before you get to a strangely-veiled reference to a more targeted digital savviness at play in the song's success. Namely, that the reason it became number one was that it got a wildly anomalous number of 99-cent download sales, which are heavily weighted over other forms of distribution, and the Times Notes are used by organized fan bases to tactically boost their favorite artists. Which assumes that such a tactically organized fan base successfully coalesced around a previously unheard of guy the same way that it would around an existing K pop juggernaut. Or perhaps the well established right wing strategy of bulk buying a product to send it up the charts and force people to talk about it might have come into play here. Just a thought. Up the inside page from that, there's the story of how. Activists are trying to challenge the admissions program at Thomas Jefferson High School in Virginia, where black, Hispanic, and white enrollment went up and Asian enrollment went down after the state switched to a program of geographically distributed admissions rather than straight test scores. The plaintiffs of the story says argue that this formally race-neutral system was intentionally designed to achieve the same results as overt racial discrimination, and that it shows schools could accomplish the same discriminatory result through race-neutral proxies. An amazing insight that ostensibly race-neutral procedures can produce disparate results in line with overt patterns of discrimination. If only there were some academic discipline or field of theory to explain how that works. That's the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And we will talk again tomorrow, or not, depending on how this case of COVID goes.